We are the Wanderers of Western Sydney. Hello, I'm Tim Gilbert, a Western Suburbs boy from Guildford and a proud fan. Welcome to our podcast. This is the place to come to hear all the stories from our wonderful football club. Players, coaches, managers, fans. Our featured Wanderers will come in all shapes and sizes and diverse backgrounds. We are a strong club that is on the move and our people have rich and gripping stories to tell. Welcome. Great to have you along for the ride. Today's Wanderer is centre forward, Simon Cox. Simon Richard Cox, how are you, Simon? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. Well, let's start uh, first off, talk about your Wanderer's experience because it's been an extraordinary time, hasn't it? You've come, you've signed the contract and we've all been sideswiped by COVID-19. Yeah, it's been a <laughs> it's been a very turmoil time um, since I arrived. I feel like people probably wanted me to leave because they can get back to normal life. But it's been uh, it's been good to be fair. Like I've uh, really enjoyed my time, albeit disrupted by uh, by COVID. So um, you know, I'm looking forward to see what the future holds. Absolutely. Well, we'll give us a bit of an insight into how it's all transpired because you you signed with the club, and then what happened next? Yeah. So it was. Pretty quick, actually. I spoke with Marcus and and Gavin at, at Wanderers, and and they were like, "We we want you to come over as as quick as you can." So I had to sort out a few things back in the UK, um, and then I was on a plane uh, within the space of I don't know, probably three or four days. You know, it's, it's very hard to try and pack up as much as as much baggage as you can in in say two suitcases to to come over and and mm. settle yourself in in a completely different country let alone the other side of the world mm. so I uh, yeah made the trip I settled in quite nicely straight away I, you know I went to watch the Perth game at, at home unfortunately that ends up being the, the last game of Marcus's tenure but you know that, that sort of thing happens and then I was you know was eager to get stuck in and, and into work the players and then boom you you, you <laughs> got to play a few games and then yeah then I was I was pretty lucky actually because we had a bye weekend the, the following week and uh, it allowed me to to work with the coaches and the players and the fitness guys and and just try and get up to speed as quick as possible I knew I wasn't going to start the first game that I was able to play and I knew that there was a plan in place to you know bring me on in in one game and then. I think my second game was meant to be the derby and then that got rained off. That wasn't great. And then all of a sudden we had torrential downpours. And so there was two, I think we had two games called off and, you know, COVID starts to creep in and, uh, <laughs> and then we're in, we're in this sort of uh, state that we're in now. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so you went back to the UK for a while and then, and then came back again. Yeah. So I, as soon as uh, as soon as we played our uh, the derby game at, at Bank West, I um and and the club we we were in the next day for a call down and uh, JT and JP they you know s- sat us all down and said look the league's not continuing we're not going to play another game for a few months so or it was I think it was originally the twelfth of May I think we were originally meant to be back for or playing our next game was meant to be then so I knew that. By the time we finished that, I was like, I'm not going <clears> to, <throat> I'm not going to stick around in the apartment on my own, uh, with my family and stuff are, are back in the UK. I, I said to the club, look, if, if, if you're all right with me to go home, I'd like to go and see my family and then end up being at home for, you know, three and a bit months. And then you got to come out here and, um, and self isolate <laughs> for 14 days. Uh, look, yeah. 
everyone around the world is going through the most unprecedented times because the whole thing's wobbling on its axis. But uh, how did you cope with those 14 days? Yeah, it was tough. I don't think people realize when you when you haven't had to do the two weeks if you know if you say to people you got to go and spend two weeks in a hotel i think most people would turn around and go yeah thanks i, I really enjoy that you can go to the pool or you go downstairs into the bar or restaurant in the in the hotel and stuff but that's not the case it literally is as soon as you sign in and you give all your credentials over to the guys at the front desk they literally march you up to the uh, up to your room and they don't give you a key and they just lock the door behind you and you can't leave your room. You can't open a window. You don't taste fresh air for, for two weeks and your meals get delivered to your door three times a day at, yeah, you know, I think it's like 8.30, 1 o'clock and, and 7 o'clock in the evening. And then and that's it. And it's repeat for, for 14 days. So it is, it's mentally, it's tough. It's, it's trying to not make the days as long as possible. I was quite lucky with the club. They gave me a, a box of weights and bands and, and stuff. So I was able to do some sort of strength work and stuff. But the one thing that I struggled with was I wasn't able to tire myself out where there's only so much room in a in a hotel room that you've got. I had to I end up having to move furniture around in the room to do some sort of exercise in the room just to try and give myself a bit of a sweat on that allowed me to tire out through the day. But I mean, nothing's like uh, running around on the training ground where you tire yourself out nine times out of 10 every day. So it is, mm. it is very, very tough. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's, it, it's a real insight when you hear it from that perspective. And I suppose when you're in that environment and you're away from home, and, and this is the first time you've travelled a long, long way, you've had an extraordinary career through the course of your time, both in England and, and, and representing the Republic of Ireland, we'll talk about that. But I suppose you had to rely on some of those elements of your professional football life and discipline to get you through it. Yeah, I think ultimately I, I knew that it's two weeks and you have to, you just have to set yourself goals after the first, first three days where your sleep is all over the place and, you know, you sleep, you know, silly hours, whether it's 4 a.m. till 8 and then you sleep from 1 till 6 and then, you know, you're awake for the rest of the night until, mm. until you get your sleep pattern on a, on a bit of a, an even keel. That's the sort of, the first three or four days. And then after that, it's, you give yourself another three days, four days, and then you've done a week. And then they said to us that they would do your, your COVID test on the 10th day. So there's another goal to get to once you get to 10 days and you think, all right, okay, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Then it's like two days later, you get your results back and you're a little bit nervous because you don't know whether you've got it or you don't. And because it's something you can't, can't sort of see because I've traveled. I don't, you didn't really know whether I had it or not. Uh, but then when I got my results, I was like over the moon. So then I was only another two days before I could leave. So it, it was mm. all about setting goals and making sure that once I got to that goal, I was like excited for the next goal to come around and, and making sure that I was in a decent headspace uh, once I came out. On the subject of goal, I could see that extra smile on your face when, uh, you know, Juki set it up for you and you got the first goal back from um, isolation against the Mariners on, on a wet old night up on the Central Coast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's the sort of thing that makes the whole going home, coming back, doing the two weeks isolation, getting the mini pre-season in and, um, and making sure that you're fit enough ready to to help the players it that's the sort of stuff that that makes it worthwhile getting your head on one to 
instead of it being a loss it ends up being a point and you never know that point could be vital for us but we'll have to wait and see what happens in the next couple of games what about uh, the Wanderers what do you think you 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 you, you played for you know Nottingham Forest. You, you obviously Reading was your your hometown, and you you played with them. You're playing for Swindon City. You played for the Republic of Ireland. I could go through them all. What do you think of the Wanderers? Yeah, I think it's um in terms of the Wanderers, it's a uh, you know it's a good club. It you know it looks like it's got all the infrastructure in place to be something special. Something that I know that it was the the facilities that we have was one of the main reasons why it attracted me to come. At South End there wasn't it wasn't great facilities. It wasn't, you know, the stadium's older, um, the training ground's not great. But here at Wanderers everything's shiny and brand new. So it was one of those things that I I looked at and thought, you know, I could enjoy going in every day. Relatively brand new league and relatively brand new club. So there's always going to be teething problems. But as long as you keep sort of striving in the right direction. I don't see why this this football club can't be a, a force to be reckoned with because of the attraction of the facilities and you know the stadium that we play in. And, and look, whatever does transpire over over the next few weeks, this was always going to be a congested little period before some time down, and then that, the next season, um, you, you must be forecasting ahead to that as well, where hopefully you can uh, get a get some semblance of a preseason and play like a, a, a proper season of footy. Yeah. I mean, this season's been a complete mess in, in all honesty for me. It's, you know, I start, I started this season at South End. I'd done three days of preseason training before being on the bench in the first game. And then all of a sudden you, I was thrown into starting the games and I felt so far behind everybody else. And on the back of the season, I had the following, uh, the season before I, I felt like. I was just nowhere near the level that I, w- I needed to be at. Then, you know, the change of managers and the results not going so well and, you know, needing an operation. And then all of a sudden coming out here and trying to play through the sort of the pain that I have every day. It's, uh, it's tough, but, you know, I wanted to come out and try and showcase what I'm, what I'm about. But really for me, it was get here, settle in. Try and score a few goals. Try and help the team make make the final series, and then next season is the season where I feel with a full, you know, two month or six to eight weeks preseason, I can, you know, get myself fully fit in proper shape in in terms of fitness and health and and live properly and everything else, and um and then showcase my ability for next season. Well, we've certainly seen the the quality in in your football through the course of of those moments that you've had the opportunity to play. What about when it all began? What all, you know, when you grew up and, you know, joined Reading, were you eight or nine when you started uh, playing um, competitive soccer? Yeah, so I was I was quite fortunate, actually. The assistant manager at the time at Reading, I played Sunday league football with his two sons. And we both, all three of us, he had, he had twin boys and, and we both, uh, all three of us, we played upper level. Um, so at the age of sort of nine and ten, we were, we were playing 11s and 12s and, you know, when we got to 11s and 12s, we were playing 14s and 15s, that sort of thing. So um, mm. he, he said to me, he just said to me one day, he was like, look, come down to Reddin's Academy, do like an open training session for, for a week. Uh, it was in like school holidays and see what you think. And if you like it, if you enjoy it, stay on. If you don't, don't worry about it. Don't, you know, it's not, it's, it's just one thing that you can, you can have a look at. So I went one day and I was there for <laughs> 11 years. Yeah, exactly. And, and Reading. Reading was always that base, wasn't it? Because it was it was was your home club, and you you went back there obviously later 
that went out on load to Brentford and, uh, you know, Northampton Town for a short time. But you, you spent long periods of time with Swindon Town, West Brom Albion, Nottingham Forest. It's an extraordinary career. You, you, how does it look back now? And, of course, South End, you mentioned South End before, um, you know, four and a half years there. How, how do you look back at all that period now? With immense pride, obviously, I feel like I feel like some some of the clubs that I spent time at, I didn't really fulfil enough uh, of what I felt like I was capable of. Probably spent too much time on the bench at some clubs, but I think ultimately that comes down to you know I'm, I'm never one really to blame anybody else. I'm more I look inside more than than sort of blame from outside. So you know if I was on the bench, it was something that I wasn't doing or you know whatever that was. So when I look at say my time at West Brom and I felt like I needed one more year with them in, in the championship, not to get promoted straight away. Cause I felt like I'd gone from league one at, with Swindon where I'd scored a, a bag full of goals and went to West Brom and end up with nine or 10 in the first season. But I needed another year in the championship to go and score sort of 15, 20 goals and then get promoted to the Premier League. That was what I felt like it was what I, what I needed really. But listen, I'm never going to, no one ever will turn down the opportunity to, to get promoted in your first season in the championship to yeah. get into the Premier League. So, you know, people listening will probably look at me and think I'm a bit silly, but I just felt like I needed that one more season in the championship just to sort of make myself believe a lot more that I was able, I was capable of doing it in the championship. And then it was a progress step up into the Premier League uh, instead of it was like a, I went from League One to, to the Premier League in two seasons. So it was, a, it was a hell of a jump. And then, you know, I got, ended up with three years at, at at West Brom and then ended up with I think two and a half three years at, at Forest and you know a, a similar thing like you know started really well then all of a sudden owners changing and owners doing different things with teams and bringing players in and never really having a settled manager and then it ends up being that I end up having to leave and and I wanted I end up going back to Reading which was which was ideal for me because that's where obviously my family and that are from so mm. uh, it helped me going back to Reading and I think everybody was pretty happy when I went back there. Yeah, and, and played another 50 for, for Reading. What what are some of those uh, pinch-yourself moments amidst all of that? That's some, like some of the players you come across, those, and we're talking about a huge body of work when we're talking about 12, 13 years, but there must be some moments that just stand out because you, you, you also kick some wonderful goals in that period. Yeah, I mean – when you when you talk about the people that I've played against in the Premier League, if you look back the last sort of ten years or so in the Premier League, probably played against most of them um, or come up against them in in some way or form. So it's um, you know when you talk some names, chuck us some names just for all the well, soccer fans and football fans. <laughs> I think you just look at the uh, you know you look at the top teams in in the Premier League. So you look at your Manchester Uniteds. I've obviously come up against Rio and Vidic at the time. Evra was there. And then you go into the likes of Man City, Company, Michael Richards, that sort of stuff. Tevez, David Silva, all of these players. And then you go into the Chelsea's and the, the John Terry's, the Frank Lampard's, the Didier Drogba's, wow. all of these people. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, the results that we had against these teams probably weren't great. But for somebody but to be in their company from, or is, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think that's that, that for me, I, I tried to take my the year that I played in I got I got a decent spell towards the end of uh, a season with Roy Hodgson at, at West Brom where I played the last sort of eight to ten games I think it was and like he showed a lot of faith in me which I've you know truly grateful for and I was able to sort of stamp my 
my authority on on the team and and end up being a bit of a, a bigger part. But then he ends up getting the England job, and then my my career starts to sort of move in a different way. So had he not taken the England job, I you know sometimes you just don't know where your career would have gone. So, but yeah, I I went like I say, I went from League One and ended up in the Premier League after sort of three seasons, and I I wanted to take as much of that in as possible and and to be fair when I when I was in the Premier League I, I tried to as much as I could and albeit very much in awe of where I was and who I was up against until I felt like I played in the Premier League a lot more than than probably I needed to or should have done. What was it like playing for Ireland like your lineage um, through you know one of your grandparents of course was Irish and well, yep. tell, talk us talk us through that story because it's it's a great story and it's not like you just played one game, thirty games. Yeah, so it, it all started really when I was in the youth teams at Reading, um, and we used to have back in that day when I was sort of seventeen, uh, sixteen, seventeen, doing your scholarships at Reading. They they we used to get over, especially at Reading, we used to get some of the best young talents from Ireland. We used to have a decent scouting network that went over to Ireland and, and we used to get a few of those over every season and they were very, very sought after. And then because I had Brendan Rodgers as my as my manager at the time, who's obviously born in Northern Ireland, he obviously knew about my Irish roots and stuff and he, and he used to turn around to me and say, look, you know, why don't you sort of go down that way? And I was like, I said, look, I don't, you know, I don't really know what I want to do yet. And then... You know, things sort of happened throughout. I never really got a chance to play any under, you know, 15, 16, 21s or anything for Ireland or for England. And then I got into into the Premier League and I just thought, you know what, actually, I would rather play 50 to 100 games if possible and try and do something with Ireland. And it would mean more to me and more to my family about mm. going to a major tournament or representing Ireland than it would I think for me or anybody else playing one game for England and that was more it wasn't about you know obviously if I'd have gone and played for England you probably could have you know you just don't know whether you're ever going to play for England so it, you just you just don't know and and I think for me personally because it would have meant more to me and my family that's the reason I made the decision to to sort of choose Ireland over England. What about the national anthem? What what's it like? What's uh, you know, pack pack crowds and uh, you know, what's it like representing a country? Yeah, it's when you get when you get to like because bearing in mind the Irish international is in Irish, so it's uh, okay. it's not it's not it's not in English. So the first time I sort of stood out on the pitch and and they played the national anthem, I. I didn't know it. I was really, <laughs> I was really honest oh. with people. I was like, I've got no idea. And, um, mm. and then, then what, you know, we were in a camp for, for three weeks after the first game. And, and I was literally sat there learning. I was had my headphones on and, uh, I was literally learning the, the national anthem because I, I always feel it's important for, for somebody if you've, represent a country you, you sing the national anthem I think that's really important for mm. people so mm. um so yeah it was uh it was quite tough to start with I was just probably one of the only ones as they went down the line who was just stood there um not not singing so it was it was tough but you know what I've I played 30 times for Ireland. I uh, I went to a major tournament, something that hadn't happened for a very long time with a manager uh, and an assistant of Giovanni Trapattoni and Marco Tardelli to uh, Italian 
legends of the game and people have won mm, major sure. tournaments and major major trophies throughout their career so I you know I feel very very blessed to have have, have done done that I do also feel like I could have made more appearances or I, you know I just feel like again my career moved in a direction that had I uh, had I stayed with Ireland for another season or two and made 50 appearances or you know a bit more I, I would have liked to have made more appearances if possible yeah I think that's a, that's a bit of an anecdotal life though isn't it sometimes we always want a bit more but I think you know, 30 appearances is extraordinary. How long did it take you to get that national anthem down, Pat, mate, with the head <laughs> Yeah, it, it took, it, to be fair, it took me to learn the whole thing. It probably took me about three or four, probably took me to the end of that camp to, to really know it and understand it because it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, it's, it, it's interesting because obviously these are these are kind of words that I've never never seen before. So you end up mm. having to get someone to explain it to you and, and make like because there's I can I could read it. There's a there's a sort of English version and there's an Irish version. So you can read the English version and then try and translate it into the Irish version. But uh, ultimately, it's uh, it's sung in Irish. So you have to you end up having to sing it in Irish. Yeah, well, uh, well done. Uh, look, it's called the beautiful game. We call it soccer often here in Australia. It's 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 called football in most other parts of the world. Why is it, in your words, why why is it the beautiful game? I think just in when you can when you can bring joy and happiness to millions of people, millions of kids around the world, just through kicking a ball. Something that I would I would say that probably ninety percent of boys and girls all around the world if you offered them a chance to be a professional footballer they would take and the fact that on the basis of how the game goes win lose or draw and you can have that raw emotion and you can touch people you know touch people's hearts and, and minds through throughout the world I think it's uh, I think that's the reason why it is the beautiful game and, and a game that it is like no other now, it's truly the world game, isn't it? Well said, because you don't have to be a blue blood or a royal or an overly wealthy human being or grow up in a, in a, in a, a you know, a silver family. So, you know, you, you can yeah. be virtually anyone. All you need is the ball. Yeah. But that's it. Like you, you, you talk to many people, many, many school kids. I'm pretty sure you'd be the same that, you know, when you had your, your mates at school and stuff, you put your jumpers down as goalposts. Or your bag, mm. your backpacks and stuff. That's how the love of football starts. You and your mates on the park pitch playing like five a side games and stuff like that. Or, you know, as many, as many mates as you can and, and you play until it gets dark and you have to go home for dinner. That's, yeah. that's where the love of the, the game starts. And then if you, it doesn't matter, like, like you said, it doesn't matter whether you've, you know, been dealt with a, a silver spoon or you've been dealt a tough hand. You, you know, all you need is a ball and you can find a ball anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is an exciting time here in Australia, isn't it, when you think of the, the World Cup coming here for women um, and that, that game has grown exponentially. And that's just a few years away now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was massive for A-League first and foremost, but even even bigger for the W-League and, and football in Australia in general. Because as soon as soon as soon as they see national teams come in, playing in the stadiums and and it gripping the the nation the way World Cups normally do. I think it can only be a, a really really good thing for Australia. And onwards and upwards for the Western Sydney Wanderers, Simon. 
hopefully all do, <laughs> all depending on how next season starts when next season starts and how we go about recruiting and making sure that we're as strong as possible for next season I feel like we've got a decent nucleus in in the squad it just needs you know a few tweaks here and there and as long as um, we can recruit well I feel like we we could be in for a, a, a good season next year Yep, we are the Western Sydney Wanderers, and this is the podcast, of course. Thanks for being today's Wanderer. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. For more information on the club, visit wswanderersfc.com.au. We will be back soon with another story from one of our Wanderers of Western Sydney.